Hi there, and welcome to chapter 11 of this audiobook series, Your Inner Game, 12 Principles for High-Impact Entrepreneurs. This is the release of my number one Amazon best-selling series, and uh, this is all available for free on mattbrownshow.com and all around the world in audio. So wherever you grab your favorite audiobooks, Audible, or wherever that might be, go ahead and grab that copy as well if you would like to. So uh, this is such an important idea in this uh, particular chapter that we're going to be covering, and it's all around courage. You know, why leaders need to be courageous, why you need to be courageous to be successful today. And this chapter covers one of the world's most famous cartoonists. He is South African. His name is Jonathan Shapiro, a.k.a. Zapiro. He is part of the social fabric of this country and an incredible brand and icon and has ultimately been rewarded with a knighthood in France based on all his courageous cartoonism, which has covered the political developments and the socioeconomic uh, corruption and many, many other aspects of society through his cartoons that have become a talking point of so many dinner tables all around the country. So if you have been following along on this pod storm, guys, just want to say thank you so, so much for doing so. It really means the world to me that you invest in this show because without you, this show would not be where it is today. So thank you, thank you, thank you for that. And remember, guys, I would love to hear from you. If anything you are hearing resonates, please do get in touch. I would love to hear from you. I'd love to be of service to you. Please get in touch with me. You can tweet me at MattBrownZA. So without further ado, guys, let's get on with this penultimate chapter of Your Inner Game, 12 Principles for High Impact Entrepreneurs. Chapter 11, Why Leaders Need to Be Courageous. Player, Jonathan Shapiro, a.k.a. Zapiro. Episode MBS 126. Principle, I will be courageous. They say that cartooning is nothing more than organized gossip. But in South Africa, a simple cartoon represents far more than trivial gossip. For Jonathan Shapiro, aka Zapiro, cartoons are a commentary on our political and socioeconomic reality. And Zapiro's cartoons have been nationwide talking points for over 25 years. Jonathan has published 27 cartoon books, was the first cartoonist to win a category prize in the CNN African Journalist of the Year Awards, has held solo cartoon exhibitions in New York, London and Frankfurt and many in South Africa, and through his running commentary on local political developments, has been embraced by Nelson Mandela and Archbishop Esmeritus Desmond Tutu. Jonathan's spark for cartoons happened around the age of four, when he became fascinated with the many annual collections of the famous English cartoonist Giles. When he suffered from nightmares, his mother suggested that he draw them as a way to help him overcome his fears. We are all cartoonists in a way, because when you are three years old, you draw whatever's in your head. It can be rude, unfettered, and unhindered by society. Children's drawings are often amazing for this very reason. They even look like cartoons. But as we get older, society pushes us in certain directions and we lose this art. If you can hold onto that headspace, if you can remain free to express what you see on your own terms, that for me is a powerful idea, he said. This paradigm of using creative expression to communicate and express his world would be prominent throughout Jonathan's life. It would become a tool that would propel Zapiro, the brand, onto the world stage and make his political views a household talking point across South Africa. Jonathan's commentary was first noticed during the apartheid struggle of South Africa, and he quickly gained a level of notoriety. It didn't hold him back. Jonathan's passion for political commentary was largely influenced by his mother. Just before the Second World War, 
Her family fled Nazi Germany for the United Kingdom, where his mother survived the Blitz on London. This experience would leave a lasting influence on the way she thought about the relationship between courage and truth. He said, My mother came to understand something about persecution, that the saying, never again, doesn't only mean never again for Jews, but it also means never again for anyone. The progressive boarding school his mother attended helped shape her views and she became a social worker, later doing a course at the London School of Economics where she met his father, a Cape Town law graduate who was also studying there. They married in England and moved to South Africa where she was confronted with a system of segregation designed to persecute the black population. Given her beliefs, this didn't sit well with her and she attempted to become an activist. He said, when she heard about the Torch Commander protest group, she joined them on a march and brought my dad along. My dad's father freaked out, putting a stop to her activities. Decades later, in the 80s and 90s, she would eventually become such a dedicated activist that a Cape Town ANC branch is even named after her. Meanwhile, as a young mother and frustrated activist, she imparted a lot of what she believed to Jonathan and his siblings. From a very young age, we were aware that there was evil around us, that we were privileged and things had to change. The problem was that knowing was one thing, actually doing is another, and Jonathan and his siblings had no clue where to start. At university, I didn't really do much, apart from some grassroots things like making posters for marches. I had to find banned books in the UCT library to get banned photos of Madiba, but that's not really putting yourself on the line, he admitted to me. And then he was conscripted to the South African National Defense Force. He said, refusing to go to the army meant a six-year jail sentence, and I didn't have the means to flee the country, so I reluctantly went. It was here that the first sparks of rebellion really took hold. I refused to carry a gun and was victimized by the officers. They eventually gave me a lead pole to carry. A really dumb corporal made me stand guard with it. I felt like a walking cartoon. In the army, Jonathan would very occasionally meet conscripts who had been involved in the student left. Guys who knew what it was like to be on the run and be persecuted by security police. They kept a low profile. I hadn't experienced that, so I was a bit of a loose cannon, ready to make a statement. Halfway through his two-year conscription, Jonathan was investigated by military intelligence because he had got involved with the United Democratic Front, the UDF. I went to the UDF launch, joined a branch, and within a few weeks I was arrested in a motorcade with 14 other activists and locked up in a police station. They were bailed out by Trevor Manuel, who would later become the first ANC finance minister in post-apartheid South Africa. Jonathan stuck it out in the army for the rest of his two years, but during that time he appeared in court several times in his yellow UDF shirt and was found guilty of illegal gathering. He also plastered his naval base workspace with UDF pamphlets and the free Mandela sticker that he had designed. Jonathan's very first artwork for the UDF in 1983 was banned, and over the next few years, several more of his posters and cartoons were banned. He was cutting his teeth and refining his craft. He was developing lifelong skills that gave headaches to oppressive and corrupt political figures in the apartheid government, and would, somewhat ironically, later do the same to corrupt politicians in the new South Africa. Most importantly, he was getting to grips with the consequences of telling the truth about political figures and their wrongdoings in government. Enter Jacob Zuma, South Africa's president from 2009 until his forced resignation in 2018. Zuma is a frequent feature in Superior Cartoons. He said, One day in 2006, my doorbell rang. 
I opened the door, and standing in front of me was a man in uniform holding some legal papers. I was being sued by Jacob Zuma for 15 million rand. At first, Jonathan just stood there in shock. He couldn't believe it. One of the most powerful politicians in the country had taken offense to three cartoons and was suing a private citizen. Jonathan's response was priceless, but also proved that courage, like anything, is a muscle that can be worked and developed until it is second nature. The very next day, I drew another cartoon of me sitting at my desk with Zuma arriving in my studio. He says, I'm suing for damage to my reputation. In the cartoon, I respond, would that be your reputation as a disgraced chauvinistic demagogue who can't control his sexual urges and who thinks a shower prevents AIDS? And I put the three cartoons that he was suing me for back into the cartoon, showing Zuma holding them in his hands. Zuma pursued the case even when he became president, but after six years dropped the charges. This wasn't the end of the story between them. Zapira is famous for drawing Zuma with a shower attached to his head. As an iconic identifier of some of Zuma's most factually incorrect statements, it became such a big thing that even TV news interpreters for the deaf would make shower mannerisms live on TV whenever Zuma's name was mentioned. In 2008, Zuma again sued Jonathan after he published what is arguably the most famous cartoon of Zuma, the Rape of Lady Justice cartoon. The same court sheriff arrived at Jonathan's gate. When Jonathan saw who he was, he said, Is that asshole suing me again? The sheriff couldn't help himself and cracked up. The second lawsuit was widely publicized, both locally and internationally. After four years, Zuma again had to drop the charges. But notoriety does come at a price. There were unfortunate, unforeseen consequences that Jonathan had to deal with over the years. He's received death threats on a number of occasions and been physically beaten. During the 2010 FIFA World Cup when South Africa was hosting the tournament, he was attacked while on the fan walk. I was identified for some of the cartoons that I had done. A bouncer was sent after me and he smashed me in the face. I thought he had broken my cheekbone. There was blood everywhere. That was really scary, he told me. But I reckon one of the worst things are lynch mobs on social media. They can take one word or one sentence or a part of a drawing out of context and can almost destroy you. It's absolutely devastating and it's probably the worst thing I've had to contend with. Despite these challenges on the strength of his cartoons, Zipira has gone on to speak on a world stage in around 20 countries and is one of the world's most respected cartoonists. How to be courageous. While we may doubt our ability to be courageous, we have no doubt that courageous people change the world. Nelson Mandela's courage changed the political and economic fabric of South Africa. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., used his courage to lead the civil rights movement in America. Sir William Wallace had the courage to lead the first war of Scottish independence. Every single successful entrepreneur, CEO, athlete and personality I've interviewed has this principle firmly established as part of their code. Courage is the quality of character that gets them through the pain and hardship, a tax that everyone has to pay if they are to become great at anything, if they are to become more than what those around them thought was possible. But being courageous is a choice. If everything you want is on the other side of fear, then you must recognize too that the essence of courage is the ability to act in spite of fear. Enter Rosa Parks and her 20 seconds of bravery, whose consequences would span generations to come. On the 1st of December 1955, after a long day's work at a Montgomery department store, Rosa Parks boarded the Cleveland Avenue bus for home. She took a seat in the first of several rows designated for colored passengers. 
the Montgomery City Code required that all public transportation be segregated and that bus drivers had the powers of a police officer of the city while in actual charge of any bus for the purposes of carrying out the provisions of the code. While operating a bus, drivers were required to provide separate but equal accommodations for white and black passengers by assigning seats. This was accomplished with a line roughly in the middle of the bus separating white passengers in the front of the bus and African-American passengers in the back. When an African-American passenger boarded the bus, they had to get on at the front to pay their fare and then get off and reboard the bus at the back door as they weren't allowed to walk through the white section of the bus either. As the bus that Rosa was on continued on its route, it began to fill with white passengers. Eventually the bus was full and the driver noticed that several white passengers were standing in the aisle. The driver of Rosa's bus stopped the bus and moved the sign, separating the two sections back one row, asking four black passengers to give up their seats. The city's bus ordinances didn't specifically give drivers the authority to demand a passenger give up a seat to anyone, regardless of colour, but Montgomery bus drivers had adopted the custom of moving back the sign separating black and white passengers, and if necessary, asking black passengers to give up their seats to white passengers. If the black passenger protested, the bus driver had the authority to refuse service and could call the police to have them removed. On that day, three of the other black passengers on Rosa's bus complied with the driver, but Rosa refused, remaining seated instead. The driver demanded she stand up. Rosa's reply, I don't think I should have to stand up. The driver called the police and had her arrested. Later, Rosa recalled that her refusal wasn't because she was physically tired, but because she was tired of giving in to her fear. She made the choice to act, to stand up against her fear and to stand up for her rights. This simple action was the spark that fueled the civil rights movement across America. All world shapers have their own unique model of leadership, but there is one thing they hold in common, a cause bigger than themselves. Their motivations have nothing to do with their own success, comfort or prestige. Wallace, Mandela and King all fought for the freedom of their oppressed people, as does Zipira and many others like him. If you examine the code of great leaders throughout history, they didn't thirst for power or success, but instead had a cause that addressed moral failures, injustices or even indifferences. If you want to build something that will change the world, you have to start with a cause that is bigger than yourself. There is another commonality between great leaders. They challenge the status quo. Rosa Parks, Elon Musk, Richard Branson, and countless other world shapers don't accept the views of the people and the world around them. If you're going to grow into an exceptional leader, you have to continually challenge the status quo of both your external and internal environment. The problem is that courage goes hand in hand with discomfort. It's not easy to challenge the status quo one day and then expect everything to be smooth sailing the next, but it all starts with you. If you want to change the world or even a small piece of it, You need to start with yourself. Step one is practicing courage. Own your story. Tell the truth about who you are. I've met people who are exceptional at telling their stories and others who don't know where to start. What I've learned is that we all, and there are no exceptions here, have a story to tell. We just have to believe in it and more importantly, start sharing it. Accidental birth. Jonathan believes that accidental births are one of the great injustices in the world. He said, there are millions of people around the world who are born into dire circumstances. Imagine how many billions of people are kept in those circumstances because they cannot express themselves fully 
as their situation is just too dire. If you have the opportunity to express yourself, your passions and what makes you tick, you have to have the courage to do it. To land his point, Jonathan recounted a conversation he had with Nelson Mandela. He said, Madiba, in the four years since I've met you, you would have noticed that my cartoons have become more and more critical of the African National Congress, the ANC. To which Madiba replied, Oh, but that is your job. You must do it. The job in this case was to have the courage to openly express the truth of the ANC as he saw it through his unique passion for cartoons. Jonathan's lesson was simple and straightforward. Don't be accidental. Believe that you are here for a reason and that by being courageous, one simple action can lead to a powerful change in your life, business, and in the world around you. In life, we have many days, but very few moments. You get two types of moments. There are fixed moments like the day we are born, when we take our first footsteps, get our driver's license, graduate, get married and have kids, and when we die. Then we have fluid moments, moments when you have just a few seconds to choose whether you are going to be courageous or continue to live in fear. Rosa Parks had one of these moments on the Montgomery City bus. When she was asked to give up her seat, she had only a few seconds to make her choice. In this moment, the mind has two things going on. First, the brake. This is the part of the brain that tells you not to be courageous and to preserve your safety. The second is the accelerator. This is the part of the brain that tells you that you can be more than what you think you are and to challenge the conventions of society and the status quo. Herein lies the choice, the brake or the accelerator. Most of us push the brake simply because it's easier to remain safe in the comfort and certainty of what we know than to face the pain and risk of uncertainty and the consequences of the unknown. Rosa chose to push the accelerator for herself, but that one positive action changed the course of American history. That is the power of courage in action. Never doubt that in just a matter of a few seconds, one small courageous action can change the trajectory of your life, your business, and the world around you. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey there, I know being an entrepreneur can be a very lonely experience. You sometimes get stuck, don't you? Well, if you're like me, being stuck sucks. But what if you could access the minds of over 850 CEOs who have built companies generating billions of dollars in revenue and access all of that knowledge in a fraction of a second? Well, the good news is you can literally do that today. What my team have built is Matt Brown AI. It is trained on all the interviews, over 850 of them that I've done to date, all my books, all the knowledge capital that has been generated over the last 10 years right here on the Matt Brown Show. And you can get access to all of that right now for free. So how do you get access to this? Well, head on over to mattbrownshow.com and at the top you'll see community. Hit that link, sign up, it's absolutely free and you'll be given instant access to Matt Brown AI and a community of over 100,000 subscribers. Zapiro is another really interesting choice that you've chosen for this book. A cartoonist in a business book isn't the most obvious choice. And yet I found this chapter just utterly inspiring. I mean, here is someone who's been sued multiple times. He's been physically assaulted. He's been ripped apart on social media, and yet he keeps going. And if we look at what we spoke about in chapter 10, that that resilience and that idea of, you know, things happen for you, not to you. I feel that Zapira really embodies that. 
what role does courage play in business and why did you think it was so important to include this particular story in the book? Well, I think he's part of the social fabric of the country. And to your point, you know, a cartoonist isn't the type of person that you would put alongside, you know, or in the same sort of social fabric as Nelson Mandela or any of the, you know, the struggle leaders through from the ANC and things like that. So, Obviously, in the book, we've covered how Jonathan was intimately involved uh, with Nelson uh, Mandela. Um, and since, obviously, Nelson departed, his commentary and his activism in the political landscape of South Africa to this day. You, if, you know, obviously, the Daily Maverick is a very successful publication here, and his stuff is still in there. He's there because he shines a light on the wrongs and the corruption of the political system in this country and where many journalists are not courageous enough to say the things that need to be said, Jonathan is. And the reason why Jonathan is uh, obviously part of the Daily Maverick stable is because Daily Maverick are also, as a team of journalists, incredibly brave and incredibly courage because they have a point of view that they understand is correct. It's just, it's right. Or these, this problem should not exist, right? Poor education, uh, the lack of employment, uh, an economy that's uh, in recession, you know, these and why, and understanding why these problems exist. And in the same way, if you think about entrepreneurship, entrepreneurship is about solving problems. So you see those same problems, you need to be courageous enough to stand up and go, this isn't acceptable for me. And it shouldn't be acceptable for anybody else. And I'm going to go out there and solve it. And when I go out there and solve it, I'm going to create value. I'm going to make a difference. I'm going to build a business and I'm going to be commercially successful. That's the, that's the simple formula for, for entrepreneurship and success. The link there to business specifically is that you have to be courageous enough to choose. It's very easy to overanalyze and to think about this potential problem that you could go out there and solve. Should I solve this one or should I solve that one? Should I write a business plan? What will my first product be? You know, da, 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 da. like all the things that you think about when or before you actually go out there and start. It's a bad idea to overthink things. I mean, I've got um, a business called Fire Sale Hardware and I put um, an employee of mine into essentially a managing director capacity for this new hardware marketplace. Um, and she's never run a business in her life. So she phoned me yesterday and she said, I'm thinking about this and I've done this and I had a bit of research there and I watched this and I did this and I'm like, okay. I said, that's very good. Um, so what's the one thing that you need to do now? She's like, write a business plan. I'm like, nope. So what's the next thing you need to do? Well, the first, first thing you need to do before, like before you write a business plan, any of that stuff. So she gave me like four or five, six examples. And I said, so no, all of those things don't matter. Number one thing that matters in business is execution. Go out there and fail. I said, show me how, where, where you've executed. So don't talk to me about marketing strategy. and What have you done that's market facing, that touches the customer or our potential customer that demonstrates execution, whether it's right or wrong? Show me what you've done. Have you done anything? No. I said, well, this is the problem. You're overthinking the problem, you're overthinking the solution, and you're just not executing. The reality is that 
People sometimes are scared to execute because they worry about fucking up. They worry about failure. They worry about judgment. Uh, and actually what happens is they start projecting into the future. And when you do that, you become anxious. So when you're anxious, you're never going to execute to your full capacity ever. If you worry about the future, you only have today. So what are you doing today to execute? And so this is the link to courage, right? In the same way that Jonathan had the choice to execute on a cartoon that he knew would upset the president. He was sued four times by the president of South Africa, Zuma. Four times. He had cops in his house Incredible. on Sunday morning. Knock, knock, knock. Twice. I'm here to arrest you. What for? The thing that you did, the cartoon thing. I'm arresting you. And every single time those charges were thrown out. You know, Jonathan's story, in my view, is essential to have in this book because it embodies an idea, uh, a principle that I believe is going to be true in a hundred years from now, as it is true today. You have to choose to execute on something that you believe in, even if you're going to make a mistake. I mean, like with this uh, employee of mine, I said to her, just bring me data. Show me where you failed. Give me something. Show me something that demonstrates that we're making progress as opposed to just talking about what you could do. Go and do something. Just execute. Do something. Do something small every day. And when you add up all those small things that you executed on, those hundred things, that's how you become successful. In the same way that, you know, how many cartoons has Jonathan done? He's done literally like, how many books? I think he's got 13, 14 books now, cartoon annuals. And he was given that award by the French government. He's a knight of France, <laughs> you know, because they recognized all the fantastic work that uh, he's done over many, many, many years. He didn't go, well, what's the end goal here? You know, how many cartoons do I need to create in order to get to, like, that's not what he did. He was like, great, I'm doing this one today. Here's what's topical today. Here's the problem today. Here's my point of view, and I'm going to execute. And he did that over and over and over and over again to the point where now, you know, he's a, a, he's a, a knight of France for the arts. So this is the reality. So the link to courage is just execute every day. Do the small things right every single day, and they'll add up to something truly great at the end of this. So interesting because it links back to what we were talking about in an earlier chapter around authenticity as well. And one of the threads that you pull through in this chapter is very much around owning your own story and that you, you can't execute and, and have that courage and live it every day if you don't own your own story. Mm. What does it mean to you to own your own story, Matt? And what are the little things you do every day to make sure that you're owning your story? Writing the book was a hard thing because I had to put my own story in it. I had to bake it in, in different places, obviously, for all these principles. And that was a process that I found quite hard for me personally because I had to come to terms with my own story, right? So uh, coming to terms with your own story is, is oftentimes difficult is because you fear judgment. You fear that, well, if I say this, people aren't going to like me or they'll think this or they'll think that. And with Jonathan, he doesn't give a shit what anyone thinks about him right he's just one of those truly remarkable and breakable characters he was arrested put in prison on more than one occasion because of his tenacity and his point of view on things so so one of the ways that i earn my story every single day is by podcasting so 
when you podcast, when you do an audio book like this, like I don't remember what I said to you in chapter three, you know, in the interview. So you become a prisoner to your own words in many respects. Over time, though, you just have to care less about the fear of judgment, right? So we spoke about fear setting um, in a previous interview. But podcasting is the way that I do that. Other people that I've had on the show, they're right. You know, they, they'll write a thousand words every day at 4.30 a.m. and they'll publish it on their blog. Um, they will do something that they're passionate about. They'll execute on something that they're passionate about. And I think that's really where the rubber hits the road um, around earning your own story. Because I think there's a lot of courage in also expressing your own story in the sense that when you do, what will surprise you is that how many people feel the way that you do. This is this actually, by the way, has come up on the show so many times. Um, it's you know you feel you think that you're unique and that no one else feels the way that you do about a certain problem, right? Like when you start a business, I worry that I might be a failure. Okay, that's certainly not unique to you. It's uni- it's unique to so many people. But if you don't express your vulnerability, you will never connect. To all those other people that's, that are going through the same struggle, depression, losing someone to cancer, there are hundreds of thousands, millions of people that have the same experience and they're also vulnerable. They're also scared to express themselves. They're also fearful of owning their own story. And so this is the opportunity, but also the challenge in that when you stand up, you have that opportunity, that platform automatically to connect with other people that have the same point of view or the same struggle. And when you do, you benefit the most. You know, you start to connect to people at scale and that's a truly powerful idea today, which didn't exist 50 years ago. So owning your own story is a process of transformation. It's also a process of forgiveness in many cases, forgiving yourself for that failed business, forgiving yourself for that failed marriage because you were too focused on your business, whatever it is. Um, it is a personal journey, but you have to own your own story because when you do, you give yourself permission to change it. You give yourself permission to become who you were meant to be, not just who you were. And that's a powerful idea. I love how all of these different ideas really pull together to create this beautiful tapestry around all these 12 principles of inner game. And um, I'm looking forward to heading into the last chapter. Thanks, Matt. Me too. Let's do it. Ever wanted to become a best-selling author? Well, I'm in the influence business and I work with business owners and CEOs and business leaders to help them scale their influence. And we do this as a team by helping you to become a best-selling author, sought-after speaker and industry influencer in only 30 days. My team and I have developed a system that delivers a best-selling book and a launch campaign 300% faster and 50% less cost than anyone else in North America. This system is incredibly efficient. One of my clients Haiku went from a 2% share of voice globally to an 11% share of voice globally in only seven days. If you'd like more information, head on over to showworksmedia.com for more. That is showworks with an X.com.